Um, good morning, everyone. Just uh, before I, I start, uh, in the prayer meeting earlier, the Lord gave me a picture of a grizzly bear, and he was on a chain attached to a pole or a tree, and he was pacing up and down in like the ark that the chain had created as far as he could. And then the chain was gone, but he still did the pacing because of the habit. So I moved that into my other pocket piece now. Um, and he still did the same route because of habit. And the Lord would say to you today, the chain's gone. You are free. Walk out of the habit. Okay? And I got another picture of a yacht and it was sat in the middle of an ocean and there was no wind and the sea was completely flat and the person on the yacht had had the sails up, had the sails down and was crying out to God and going, send some wind and God was going, there's a big red start button there for the engine, press it. Okay, so that speaks to you, great. So, good morning. This morning we're continuing with our series on the ways of Jesus. And if you're after the title, if you're taking notes, um, interaction, reaction. Okay, so let's just pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to listen to your words of truth. I ask that you would use me today to speak those words of truth and that you would give us all spiritual ears to hear and eyes to see. Amen. Okay, so why are you here this morning? What's, motiv- what's your motivation for getting out of bed? Was it to meet with friends, have a catch-up, a cuppa and a chat? To sing some nice songs with good tunes and pleasant, inspiring, motivational words. To hear a sermon that motivates and inspires you. We can hope. To confess your sins and feel a bit better about your failings in the last week. To look at others and tell God, at least I'm not as bad as them. To have a moan and a complain about the elders and what they should do and how this church needs to be better. Have you come to complete a task like drawing water from a well? Have you come to see or be seen? Or have you come to get a limp this morning? Don't know whether you've noticed, but in the Gospels, how many times Jesus ministers to individuals. There may be a crowd of onlookers, but the interaction and the miracle and the transaction are always on a one-to-one level. Jesus was and is interested in the individual, the one, the insignificant, the lost one. The small one, 
but one that the world considers unimportant. Okay, so we can just turn to John chapter 4, verses 3 to 30. He left Judea and went away again into Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. And he came to the city of Samaria called, however you pronounce that, Shina, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. And it was about the sixth hour. Okay. So quickly take note that Jesus was weary. Isn't it nice that Jesus knows what it's like to feel weary? That blesses me that, because I feel weary at times. And the sixth hour, well that depends on what clock you're using at the time. As a Hebrew clock, they would have divided the daylight into 12 hours from sunrise to sunset. Or could have been using a Roman clock is what we'd use or similar okay there came a woman of Samaria to draw water and Jesus said to her give me a drink but his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food therefore the Samaritan woman said to him how is it that you being a Jew ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Isn't that interesting the way Jesus answers? If you only knew. If you only knew. And she said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob. I always think there should be little brackets there and there should be a, oh, yes, I am. Oh, yes, I am. Okay. Are you greater than our father Jacob? Are you? Are you who gave us this well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? And Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. How confused would you be at this stage of the conversation? This man's talking in complete riddles. I just want to get me water and go home. Anyway. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so I will not be will I not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You you have correctly said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you 
now have is not your husband's. This you have said truly. Okay. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be worshippers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I who you speak to, I who speak to you am he. Never phrases anything easy, does he? At this point, the disciples came and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you see? Or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, come, See a man who has told me all things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and they were coming to him. So just skip to John 4, 42. Many more believed because of his word, that being Jesus. And they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said, that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the saviour of the world. Now this is a well-known story, and a woman who, because of her lifestyle, is drawing water at the wrong time of day. And it was either noon or it was three o'clock in the afternoon. It doesn't really matter what the time was, it was the wrong time of day. And she's there because of her society and because of her lifestyle she couldn't go when the other women went to draw yeah but because of the way she was living didn't stop Jesus from talking to her and interacting with her didn't bother him but the conversation that she has with Jesus transforms her It transforms not only her thinking, her attitude, but also her social standing in the community. She was there drawing water because nobody wanted to be with her. And yet she goes back into the town and tells everybody. There's a transformation from being on her own to being with everybody and being the proclaimer of good news. She no longer cares about the shame, the disapproval of her neighbours, but only, the only thing she cares about and the only thing that matters is that Jesus is the Messiah. Meeting Jesus caused a reaction and an action. 
an interaction and then a reaction. Can we go to Luke 18, please? Verse 35 and 43. And I don't know what it says at the heading above this section in your Bible. A beggar, a blind beggar receives his sight. Or Bartimaeus receives his sight. But as Jesus was approaching Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. Now, hearing a crowd going by, he began to inquire, what was this? And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he called out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who led the way were sternly telling him to be quiet. But he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him. When he came near, he questioned him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight, your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and began following him, glorifying God. When all the people saw it, they gave praise to God. I don't know what strikes you about that story, if anything. For me, it's that simple question of Jesus saying to Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? What a question. Hmm. Bartimaeus was like, I don't know really. Um, can I have a Porsche? Can I have a Ferrari? Can I have a big house? Can I have a beautiful wife? Um, what a ridiculous question. Stupid question. What do you want? Oh, can I have a lottery ticket for a week Friday? What? An utter ridiculous question. What do you want? And Luke uses the word here regain his sight. Some versions and the other Gospels don't say that, but Luke says regain. So for me, that means Bartimaeus once had sight and had lost it. What a terrible thing. What an absolutely appalling thing. And he notices that Jesus was walking past. And that's not the first time Jesus had gone to Jericho. It can't have been. And he walks past. And he's not going to stop. And he's not going to interact with him. He's walking past. He's gone. It's another blind beggar. To a penny. I'll just keep going. Keep going. I'm busy. I've got things to do. Looking at his sundial on his wrist. Bartimaeus has to stop him. And Bartimaeus has to call out. And Bartimaeus has to go, hold on a second here. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't go past me. Don't go past me. Stop. Sort me out. 
Give it me back. He was in a desperate situation. And out of that desperation, he calls out. And then Jesus stops and says, what do you want? What do you want? But that interaction with Jesus, he receives his sight again. And it says he praises God. And the very fact that we know who this blind beggar is, and we know his name, sort of indicates that Bartimaeus was there after the crucifixion. He was there. He was a disciple. He was a follower of Jesus after this event. Being healed, receiving his sight, was the start of his journey. It wasn't his destination. It was the start of his journey of faith. It was an interaction and a reaction. This water up here doesn't quench your first gym, does it? You notice that? leave this one there that's a talk for another day to you know okay let's move on so i don't know about your bible heroes but let's face it in this book are some very interesting stories and very strange stories and very weird stories and there's characters in this bible who you go what are you thinking of god why are you putting him in there and not only why are you putting him in there but why are you actually making him Somebody of such importance. And for me, Jacob is one of those people. Jacob couldn't lie straight in bed. Jacob couldn't tell the truth if his life depended on it, if he thought there was a bit of a financial gain in it or something for him in it. And yes. He goes on to be one of the one of the great people of faith, one of the founding fathers. Quite amazing. But for those who don't know Jacob's story, I'm going to quickly recap, depending on how time goes. So, Abraham has a son Isaac. Isaac marries Rebecca. They have trouble conceiving. Isaac prays and Rebecca gets pregnant with twins. Be careful what you pray for. And from the word go, the babies jostled each other in the womb. And it was that bad that Rebecca inquires of God and says, Why are these like this? Why are they fighting, jostling all the time within me? And the Lord says to it in Genesis 25, 23, two nations are in your womb and two peoples will, se- will be separated from your body. And one people shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. So she had a reason. 
But she didn't have a solution. It didn't put an end to the squabbling in the womb. And when the babies were born, Esau was the first to come out and he's hairy all over. He's like a baby goat. It says, the Bible phrases it a bit more eloquently than that. It's like he has a garment on. Imagine that. Imagine giving birth. And it's covered in hair. Not a little tuft of hair on its head, but completely covered. The baby's covered in hair. You'd be like, oh, flipping what's that? Maybe the mother wouldn't, but the father would. Okay. And as Esau is being born, the other baby, Jacob, is born with his hand grasping his brother's heel. It's like something out of an alien film, this, isn't it? It's like science fiction. It's like, gives me the creeps. But that's the start of their relationship. It's all looking good for a nice, peaceful family life, this, isn't it? Don't you think? This is going to work out well. They've been fighting from day one in the womb. One of them gets bored and the other one's got hold of his heel. Oh, this is going to go well. And in some cultures, the name Jacob means deceiver. And that was his character. He learned early on that that was the way to get what he wanted in life. And it says that Isaac loved Esau because he was a hunter, because he was a real man. And Rebecca loved Jacob because he was a bit of a mummy's boy. He used to stay around the tents. Chalk and cheese in character already. Okay. So for time's sake, I'm going to quickly summarise the next 98 years of Jacob's life. So you're going to have to pay attention and keep up with me. So he buys Esau's birthright for stew and bread. He comes his father into giving him Esau's blessing. Now, I don't think we in the West understand that blessing, the blessing of the firstborn. It was vitally important. It was significant. And it was that significant that when Esau finally appears and goes to Isaac for it, he goes, can't have it. It's too late. I've given it. Can't give it twice. It's a done deal. Esau's furious. He's going to kill Jacob. And Jacob runs away before he can be killed. And he works for his uncle looking after sheep. And he falls in love with his uncle's beautiful younger daughter, Rachel. And he agrees to work for seven years in order to marry Rachel. And he discovers the morning after the wedding that he's married the older sister, Leah. What a wedding party that must have been. Hey, you don't even realise who you marry until the next day. That was a shocker over breakfast. That's amazing, isn't it? I just, it's a different culture, isn't it? But I can't understand how that could happen. When I stood over there nearly 30 years ago, when Dawn came through them doors and walked down, I made sure every step of the way it was Dawn. There was no way I was going to accept anybody else. There was probably no way anyone else would accept me, but that's... I just... Does that not just make you go, flip it, eh? What's going on? 
What was the wine like that night? And he confronts his uncle. And his uncle goes, Oh, culture. I can't marry the younger daughter off before the older one's daughter. The older daughter's married. Oh, well, there we go. You snooze, you lose. Deal done. I'd, I'd, I'd be furious. I'd, I'd, yeah. So he agrees to work for another seven years to marry Rachel. But Jacob in all of this is blessed beyond all measure. And this is the bit that gets me with these Bible stories and some of the characters. Because I'm like, God, why is he blessed beyond all measure? Why? Why? He can't lie straight in bed. He can't tell the truth to save his life. He's a devious soul. Yeah, but it's God's plan and purpose that he's working out. So he agrees to leave his uncle because the flocks can't survive grazing together. That's how much he was blessed. And then after 98 years, Jacob is about to come face to face with his brother. 98 years of deception, 98 years of worry and fear are about to come home to roost. Jacob's terrified. He's got a conscience at least. He's terrified. He's thinking, oh, 98 years, he's going to kill me still. Can you imagine living for 98 years with the idea that someone's got it in for you, that someone's going to kill you, with all that shame and worry of I did him wrong and now he's coming to repay me? Well, this isn't going to end well. So Jacob prepares to meet Esau and he, he sends gifts to him. But he's quite clever. He sends gifts to him a bit at a time. Doesn't bombard him with loads of stuff. He says to his servants, right, you go first with that. Let's wait a bit. You go Next. So all day, Esau's getting gifts off his brother. And he's thinking, it's a pretty nice gift. Okay. Oh, there's more gifts. It's like a never-ending Christmas day. Woohoo! I'm liking this. And Jacob sends his wife and his children and his servants and his flock across a brook to a place of safety. So it's the night before the brothers are about to meet. I can't believe EastEnders and Coronation Street haven't used this script. It's a good storyline, this. It's the night before and Jacob's alone. And I would imagine that Jacob's lying there or looking up at the stars and he's thinking, this is it. This is my last night on earth. I'm for it in the morning. This is it. It's all over. So in Genesis 32, 24 to 31, we pick the story up there. 
Then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. So it's your last day on earth, possibly your last night on earth and you're there all alone in the middle of nowhere. And there's a guy comes along and you say, do you fancy a wrestle? Okay. And when he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he was wrestling with him. And then he said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Jacob's character again, coming through. What's in it for me? You're not going anywhere till you bless me. What's in it for me? So he said, Jacob says to him, what's your name? Sorry, the angel God says to him, what's your name? And he says, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask me my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Peniel. And he said, I have seen God face to face in my life has been preserved. And the sun rose upon him and he was limp and he was limping on his thigh. So Jacob's in a desperate place alone and he meets God one to one and they wrestle. And God touches his hip and gives him a limp. It was an interaction and a reaction. Luke chapter 9, verse 18. We could. So just before we leave Jacob. wasn't in his blessings, wasn't in his abundance that he met God. It's in his desperation, in his loneliness, in his, I'm at rock bottom now. I need, I need. So Luke 9, 18. And it happened while he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he questioned them saying, who do the people say that I am? And they answered and said, John the Baptist. And the others say Elijah. But others, the one of the prophets of old has risen again. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, the Christ of God. Again, an interaction and a reaction. But who do you say that I am? 
You know, if this God is who you say he is, if this Jesus is who you say he is, then every atom, every cell, every thought, every motivation, every action, every word must be influenced and affected by him. I'm going to say that again. If this God is who you say he is, if this Jesus is who you say he is, and why are you the same today as yesterday, as last year, as 10 years ago? If this Jesus is who you say he is. There's interaction. There's reaction. Pray. Jesus, we thank you that with every interaction with you, every time that we meet with you, when we talk to you, when we read your scriptures, we are changed and we become a little bit more like you. And Lord, may that transformation into your likeness happen quicker and quicker.